Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. Today's special guest is Emma Miklinski. She is near and dear to our heart and is essentially a member of our family at this point. She is a BCBA um, that works with Skylar at his ABA center and many other kids uh, at the center as well. She hails from New York, from Buffalo, New York, and went to college at Elmira College in Elmira, New York. She has been working in the field of ABA for almost two and a half years. And right after college, she moved to the Louisville, Kentucky area where we are and started her job in the field of ABA. Uh, Emma has moved up from when we started uh, in the program from his program coordinator to his full-time BCBA. So please enjoy my conversation today with Emma McClinsky. So my special guest today is Emma McClinsky. She is a BCBA at an autism center in Indiana where we live, and she actually um, is the coordinator for for Skylar's programming, so um, in full disclosure, and I am just so mesmerized by her and her goals and all of the things that she has set for Skylar. So I asked her to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about ABA and the different versions of ABA. There's so much involved that I think a lot of people don't realize um, when they just hear ABA, they hear just... Um, probably generalities of the same thing, and it's it's not. So, Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, I always am intrigued with anyone who works with um, children on the spectrum by choice, <laughs> how they found that path and that passion to, um, it's very troubling. It's, it's hard to be a parent with someone who um, sometimes can't speak to you or mm-hmm. has behaviors. So to willingly get into this field all day, every day, <laughs> what led you into the world of ABA? Yeah, so um, I've always really loved working with kids. Um, I've been babysitting since I was 11. I worked at summer camps um, throughout my college years. And when I first went to college, I actually thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, which is very different <laughs> than what I'm doing now. Sort of, I guess. <laughs> Animals can't talk back. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, and I had, it was almost, for lack of better terms, it was almost like a quarter life crisis in my sophomore year of college. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to make more of a difference. Um, And I kind of explored some different avenues and paths over the next couple of um, years. And then when I was a senior, my mentor, who kind of guided me through my psychology program, sent me an article. And it just said, uh, this made me think of you. And it was about ABA. 
And in that moment, I knew that that was it. This was what I was meant to do. I was supposed to be a BCBA and this is why I'm here. So uh, I've been in the field of ABA since August of 2017. Um, I started my job as a behavior technician and my master's program in applied behavior analysis on the same day, which is a little uh, crazy thinking back on it. Most people are in the field for a little bit before they decide it's what they wanna do forever. But um, once I found ABA, I just always kind of knew that this was it, so. Well, what are, you mentioned um, being a behavior clinician. What are um, some of the roles? I mean, obviously um, I've heard all over the years, RBTs, you know, program coordinators, of course, BCBAs. Mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of lingo and I, I just wanted to see if you could clarify, you know, for the listeners too, who maybe aren't aware of each of those titles and what they, what they specifically do and what type of education is, is required for each of the levels. Yeah, of course. There's uh, definitely a lot and it's a lot to learn in a short period of time. Um, most people when they enter the field start as a behavior technician um, to be a behavior technician, it's a high school diploma. Um, that's what you need to like qualify for that position. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you take a 40 hour course along with hands-on training, um, at a center, or if it's, um, an ABA school, just under the, um, guidance of a behavior, uh, behavior analyst, um, and then you can sit for a national exam, um, which makes you a registered behavior technician. Oh, okay. Then, so there's a BT and an RBT. Yes. So a BT is usually just an RBT in training. Mm -hmm. um, and being an RBT just puts you in our national database and recognizes you as somebody who um, works with the um, autism. Well, it doesn't have to be the autism population, but um, works under the um, the board and all RBTs have to have a supervisor, um, a, usually a behavior analyst supervisor, but, um, assistant behavior analysts can also supervise them. Um, and then from there, a lot of people stay at the RBT level. Um, that's the one-on-one -on -one level. So they are the ones that implement all of the one-on-one -on -one therapy, um, all day, every day. Um, but some people decide they want to move up, and that can be to a couple different places. Um, some places, but not all, implement um, a program coordinator position. Um, they've also called them program managers. Uh, I know there's some other places that even just call them, like, lead RBTs. Mm -hmm. um, there's really not an official job title there. Um, but it's really just an RBT who has a lot of experience and is good at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, from there, so you don't need any kind of special training from there, um, but they kind of are a BCBA's right-hand man. Okay. Um, they create a lot of programs, like materials, put together, you know, all the pictures that we use, all of the um, stimuli that are put out on the table for the kiddos to use. And then when maladaptive behaviors occur, um, I, my program coordinator is like my first line of defense. Um, so I don't have to step in every time and I know that she's got it under control. If um, I, for some reason, 
am, you know, involved in another behavior or working on something else, I know, like, I have a lot of confidence that she can handle um, exactly what is going on. Um, and some of our program coordinators are actually in programs to be behavior analysts. Um, so that's kind of the next level is being a BCBA and that's a master's level certification. Um, my program took me, I want to say a little over 18 months to complete. Um, and they're most of my distance programs. So I did it all online, which was amazing. I loved it. Um, and then worked here 40 hours a week because uh, BCBAs need 1500 supervision hours under a BCBA before they can sit for their exam. Mm -hmm. um, so then after that, we take an exam after we graduate. Um, and that's, it can take you up to, I think, four hours to complete. Man. Um, yeah, it was, it was long. Um, and then <laughs> you have to wait up to 45 days to get your results. So you're just kind of in limbo for 45 days. And then you finally uh, get the results and hopefully you're a BCBA. Um, but it was, it was a long 45 days. Yeah, it's, like, it's like taking the LSATs and uh, preparing for the bar exam. <laughs> oh, for sure. Very similar. Um, so well, it, yeah. makes, it makes me feel good to know. I mean, I knew some of this already, but, you know, for anyone that's, the ABA is a new term to them or a new, mm -hmm. um, which is applied behavioral analysis. I should have said that from the beginning, but um, it's, we'll get into some of the specifics of, and versions of ABA, but um, it's nice to know as a parent uh, what all goes into being a BCBA. And if you're, um, I'm sure the recommendation should come from you, not me, but in my experience, anytime I've looked into an ABA program, I always wanted to be sure that a BCBA was in, technically in charge of all of the, the programming and everything that was going on. Um, For sure. Because it should be. So top down, it's the BCBA, correct, that... Mm -hmm develops all of the goals and the programming um, for your child and then the program coordinator if there is that that role at the facility that that this child may attend they Correct. kind of delegate that out to the rbts um, mm -hmm. to work one-on-one -on -one with your child and they kind of more oversee the day-to-day -day, um, with the actual child and hands-on yeah. and then they report back to you right like how things are going and how the goals are going and then you yes. guys work together so to um, ABA itself is driven off of data. So everything we do has to have data to back it up. Um, so if a client is struggling with a goal, I can tell just by going into the computer, um, clicking on the goal and seeing what data was taken over, you know, the past couple days, weeks, months, however long. Um, and that way we can ensure that everything we're doing isn't just because there's right. a purpose to it there's a reason and whether it's because of a deficit or struggling with another goal or building on skills that they have completed in the past um so that's um why i think i really love aba because everything has data to back it up so the versions, um, you know, and I, I say the word versions and that, that might not even be correct, but I just know, you know, with Skylar being 16, over the years we have done, we started an ABA program, an in-home program when he was, gosh, he was probably 
four years old, as soon as our first steps um, ended at the age of three and he you know, couldn't have those therapy services anymore through the state. And then we were informed about ABA and it was relatively new around here. Um, the provider mm -hmm. that came to us came out of Lexington, Kentucky and came into our home and kind of showed us some things. And in the beginning, the things that they were doing or, or, or showing him were um, matching things. So they would, you know, maybe have a pencil, an actual pencil, and they would have a picture of a pencil and a picture of an apple. And they mm -hmm. would hand Skylar the pencil and they would say, Skylar, match, and see if he could match the pencil to the picture of the pencil, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, over the years, he's attended um, other ABA programs and we've used PECs, which are picture exchange cards for anyone that doesn't know what that means. So a lot of times they had to have a stick figure on them, um, you know, a stick figure of someone eating or a stick figure of someone playing or a, an actual food item. And I even went so far as to take pictures of all of the foods he likes, the actual boxes and labels so he could recognize them. <laughs> um, his shoes, his clothes, things like that. And then it's put on a Velcro board and then he would make a choice. Um, and mm. the goal I think with that eventually was to put several choices on a, a Velcro strip and he would make you know, a choice out of three or four items and eventually form a sentence and all of those things, which we didn't get that far. Mm. <laughs> he, did, he didn't want to do that. So <laughs> when I say versions, um, are there several ways you can do ABA. There's not just one way, obviously, right? Correct. Um, so ABA should be tailored to the individual who needs the services. Um, so a lot of what I do every day is really seeing where each client that I work with needs to make improvements. And for some kiddos, that's putting on shoes. For other kiddos, that's um, like matching, like you were saying. Um, matching is a skill that is from a young age, a basic skill, like a two to three year old skill. But a lot of kids with autism kind of miss that skill in their development. Um, so matching, making eye contact, that making choices, that's really where a lot of the basics start with a lot of clients, um, but some clients come to our clinic and they can do all those skills and they might just need help with social skills. Mm -hmm. um, so most of my day is spent really trying to figure out where each kiddo needs some assistance. Um, and I think that's another reason that I really like what I do because I, not every day is the same and not every Correct. day yeah. be the same because every individual is at a different level. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of different assessments we use. Um, so there's some popular ones. There's the VB map. Um, there's ABLES, AFLES. Um, my favorite one is called PEAK. Um, and I really like PEAK because it really spans a lot of skills and a lot of age ranges. Um, I have you know, four or five-year-old clients working out of peak, and I have 16, 17-year-olds also working out of peak. And it can really span that whole age range, where some of the other assessments are for three to five years old or, you know, 10 to 12, and not all of them really encompass the whole um, development process. Um, and because 
I know in Indiana, we can accept children as young as two, really at diagnosis. And then um, insurance kind of cuts off around 22-ish. So, I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's a long age range. So if your kiddo's in ABA for 20 years, um, because that's what they need, then there should be a lot of places where they can pull targets from and pull information from to really try to work on that kiddo's specific skills. Mm-hmm. So like these assessments that you mentioned, like PEAK, what, so what is that exactly? Is it an assessment that the parent fills out as to where their child is in certain levels um, where we, we fill out those forms and they say, you know, at, at, for socially, your child is at an 18 month level for this skill set they're at. Is it that type of an assessment or is it something oh, different? A little bit. Um, we usually complete a full peak assessment, at least here in the clinic, um, within the first two weeks of therapy to really Um, get them used to coming here first because a lot of kids will either do better on the assessment or worse on the assessment than they would on an average day based on their first couple days here Mm -hmm. Um, because everything's so new and exciting and fun. Um, And then it gets less fun as therapy goes on. (laughs) You have to work. (laughs) But um, so we try to really do a full assessment, which is about 64 questions per book. we usually start with just the first book. Um, it's called Direct Training. And that is where I personally pull a lot of my goals from because I like how there's a wide array of goals in them. Um, and that's where there's kind of four different sections to the assessment. And in it, it's like um, perceptual learning skills, verbal reasoning skills, um, I think the first one's direct training. Um, And through those kind of different sections, we can break down where the client is on an age range level. Um, Because some kiddos are at age range on one section and then below age range or above age range on another section. Um, And then we also always have parents fill out, at least during the evaluation, just some kind of behavior identification um, sheets, whether it's a motivation assessment scale or questions about behavior function, just to figure out um, where their behaviors are coming from, um, what kind of things we need to work on, whether it's tantruming or running away from home, um, physical aggression, anything like that. And then from putting those things together, we decide what goals we need to pull from. And then, so when you have the goals, um, what determines success? Is it a time frame? Um, so if the goal is, um, we'll just use Skylar. Um, this isn't one of his goals. It has been in the past, um, but to, to, um, to not use his hands to, to smack someone or like to get attention, smacking someone on their arm or something like that. So um, if a goal is set up to get him to, to stop hitting for getting your attention and, and to do something else, um, are you redirecting him or are you guys, you know, is there a goal in place and you keep track of how many times he swats someone on the arm? Um, and obviously the data, the goal is to see that decrease and decrease and drink decrease. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be considered successful 
obviously eliminating the behavior completely, but there has to be little successes along the way, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so in like our, if we do a programming like matching, um, we would consider at least at our clinic, we like to use 90%. Um, if they can get nine out of 10 trials correct, that's considered mastery. And that usually has to happen over two days for us to feel confident that they've learned the skill. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, 90 is just a number that we've decided we really like. Some clinics use 80%, some use 85. Um, it really just depends too on the individual. So some kiddos learn faster than others. Um, some kiddos learn even just certain skills faster than others. So um, some struggle with colors or shapes. So we'll want them to get closer to 90% on shapes where with colors, maybe they're really good at colors. So 80% is a better, like eight out of 10 trials is a better mastery criteria for them. When it comes to things like um, behaviors, like smacking instead of um, getting attention appropriately, we try to decrease those um, usually we say also by 80% over a six month period. So if your kiddo is smacking somebody a hundred times a day, we're trying to get down to 20 times a day in six months. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. And um, after those six months, we reevaluate and see where we're at. Um, and maybe we need to readjust our criteria. Maybe we need to readjust what we're doing, what we're not doing. Um, so it's super individualized, which makes it difficult um, to yeah. discuss. <laughs> but um, I really like 90%. I think that if you can successfully perform a skill 90% of the time, you're doing pretty well um, mm -hmm. and definitely making progress towards that skill. Um, yeah. You can definitely see that, that it kind of clicks in them that, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Whoops, I'm not supposed to do that. I mean, you know, if they can consistently stop the behavior, occasionally some squeak in, mm -hmm. and they might just be, you know, having a moment, you know, exactly. especially with Skylar, he's a teenager, you know? <laughs> right. Teenagers are, are always fun. It's <laughs> even added challenge to everything. So. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I definitely think that 100% is just too much of a stretch. Yeah. for anyone. I mean, I don't expect myself to be perfect every day. So why would I expect any of my clients to be perfect every day? Right. Um, and I think that that's sometimes a point in ABA. Um, a lot of people either think that when their kiddo goes to ABA, they're going to come back and be like little robots who just match things all day. Um, that's a, a lot of something that I hear, um, or that their kiddo is going to go to ABA and in three months have no deficits at all. Um, so one thing that one of my professors told me in school is that no, like pretty much just what I said, like I would never expect myself to go in and be 100% on 100% of the time, seven days a week. So I definitely need to expect, and I say to my RBTs, you need to expect that every once in a while, we're all going to have bad days. Um, and it could be the weather. It could be something as simple as they don't like the shirt they're wearing today. Yep. Um, and it all really affects um, 
everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I've, like I said, we've been doing forms of ABA for as long as I can remember, and I've never had a negative experience. And it really was something new to me. Some other parents that I've talked to, um, you know, I've just mentioned that there, there can be quite a negative connotation with ABA out there. And I honestly was surprised to hear that because I just haven't had that experience and haven't had any other parents locally tell me that they've had a bad experience um, with ABA either. So, I mean, I'm glad you, you pointed that out. And the other thing I wanted to make sure at least, I mean, and I can only speak for the program that he's in currently and the programs he's been in the past. Um, there have never been any, any type of um, punishments or, you know, and mm -hmm. because Skylar is nonverbal, I always look to his nonverbal behaviors as, as clues. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I would know if he, you know, we get in the car in the mornings to come to the center and he's freaking out or crying or just carrying on. Like, it's very obvious. He does not want to go in that building for whatever reason. He's never done that all these years of any of the ABAs or any other programs or therapies or treatments we've had him in. So, um, you know, as far as a child that's having a bad day, say, um, and they're just not accomplishing any of their um, programming for the day. It's just a real struggle. Mm -hmm. How do you handle a day like that with a child um, who clearly is just not having it? Maybe they don't feel good or whatever. Yeah. Um, what do you guys do with them throughout that day? Um, we definitely make adjustments. So ABA for most kiddos is a like work break combination. So you do a little bit of work at the table, you get a little bit of a break you do a little bit more work, you get a little bit more of a break, and that's kind of the cycle that occurs throughout the day. Um, and breaks can be anything. It can be some kiddos really like the iPad. They can watch the iPad. Some kiddos prefer to play in the playroom. They can do that. Some prefer a snack. Um, so those reinforcement breaks can really be anything that they enjoy. Um, and if a kiddo is just really not having it, we're going to decrease the amount of work that they do at the table and increase the amount of fun that they have. Because we never want a kiddo to come to ABA and every day have a meltdown and every day not want to be here. Because um, not only is that not beneficial for the kiddo, but that's not fun for anyone involved. Right. Um, and they're not getting anything out of it at that point. Um, now there are days that a kid comes in and definitely does not want to be here. And you can tell either because they're crying in the lobby or they get back to the um, back of the center and they're, you know, laying on the floor, maybe crying, maybe just laying there, maybe not wanting to do anything. Um, and just finding that one thing that they want to do, whether it's maybe just laying in a more comfortable spot. We have some couches in the clinic that sometimes just a nap is needed or some time by themselves. Um, because it is one-on-one -on -one therapy, that's a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention that some kids just need a break from the one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, so really just finding what that kid needs so that tomorrow isn't the same. Um, because when it becomes, you know, five days, six days, seven days, we're having some issues in the lobby. Um, we definitely have to reevaluate and see what can we do to make ABA a more fun place. Mm -hmm. So for the, the days um, on occasion that 
you know, you decrease the amount of work and then increase a little bit of more of the reinforcers. Obviously, our kids are very intelligent. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think anyone would argue with that. So have you ever had a situation where they're like, oh, okay. So if I act like this, then I can get out of doing work and I can, um, you know, have more fun. I mean, I, I, I sh throwing out a personal example, I think it, it's very funny to me because I know how smart Skylar is. Um, mm -hmm. And everybody that works with him knows how smart he is and how manipulative he can be, you know, just like mm -hmm. any other kid. And um, I found it so funny when you guys mentioned to me, um, you didn't pick up on it at first, but you realized that a lot of the toys he would throw to the ground in the center, he always chose like Legos or um, a box of a lot of stuff to throw to the mm -hmm. floor when he'd walk by and just nonchalantly swipe it to the ground um, because he knew he You cut out for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you I'm hear sorry. me? Yes, okay. I can hear you. <laughs> um, that, you know, when he would swipe those toys to the ground that he um, knew that he would be told, you know, you need to pick that up. You need to pick up that stuff. And he was like, no problem. This will take me two, three hours tops. I can pick up all these Legos. And that's less work I have to do. Mm -hmm. So he enjoyed that. So our, when, when you can constantly see manipulation going on with some kids, how do you redirect that? Yeah, so um, if there's one bad day, we try not to do the same things twice. So one bad day, we're gonna increase the amount of reinforcement. The next day, we're gonna come back and we're going to do everything the same way we did before that bad day. Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna go back to the schedule that the kiddos were on. We're gonna go back to the amount of work they did, the amount of break they had. Um, and unless there's obvious signs that we really need to lighten up, um, whether it be, you know, snotty noses, just looking a little sick, um, yawning a lot, a lot of exhaustion, we're going to keep on that schedule so that, because a one day break in schedule isn't so bad, but when you get three, four, five day breaks in schedules, um, things get a little rough for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely trying not to let the kiddos get away with too much. A lot of our clients, if they, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Mm -hmm. um, so we definitely have to avoid that. Um, how often do you um, switch therapists? I know it's one-on-one -on -one all day. Um, do you have any recommendations just through your training and um, you know, the education around the benefits of of how frequently or infrequently to switch a therapist? Mm -hmm. um, so I've only ever worked at the current clinic I'm at. So my uh, perception might be a little bit different. I know that some centers or like at-home therapists, they work with either the same therapist every day for four hours a day and then do a switch in the middle of the day and get a new one in the afternoon or there's one therapist three days a week, another therapist two days a week. Um, here, we try to, depending on how often the kids come, get them at least three different therapists throughout the week um, for either two or four hours at a time. The 
reason we started doing that is just because that's how the schedules panned out. Um, but I find it to be very beneficial with generalization, which is a big thing in ABA. Because if a kiddo can do a skill well at a center, but then goes back to home and can't complete the skill, then really what have they learned? Um, so just by adding three, four, five different therapists throughout a week, they have to perform the skill for enough people that generalization is a lot easier at home, at school, um, at grandma's house, wherever the kiddo may be going. Um, and that really helps um, just the whole process. I think it helps them pick up skills faster. Um, it helps them know that they need to perform the skill for enough different people so that we can see that they've learned it. And it's not just something that they'll do for one person. I think that's good too, because, you know, this business is tough and you know, mm -hmm. therapists aren't always around for lifetimes, which as parents, we wish that they would be. Oh yeah. <laughs> we know people have lives and move on. Um, so, you know, if, if, if your child only can do the skill or is only willing to do certain things for one particular person and that person maybe is out sick or is on vacation, I mean, it's, it's crazy if, you know, they won't do it for anyone else or it's just a, it's a tough time when the person leaves or is gone. Yeah, for sure. Start over. As a center, we would really be setting us up, ourselves up for failure, I think, if we didn't incorporate multiple um, staff into a client's schedule. Because, I mean, not even just skills, but behaviors would increase. We would see a lot more of whatever the target behaviors would be. Um, and we would really just have, until that person came back or the new therapist and client actually bonded, we would have probably a lot of issues. It would be a tough, a tough couple of days. So, Well, if there are parents looking into ABA in general, um, whether it's in their home or um, going to a center, do you have any suggestions um, for things that they should be looking for um, besides credentialing um, mm -hmm. as far as parent meetings and the frequency of those and just how involved I mean, I personally think it's very important that the parent is involved in, you know, regular meetings with the staff and with the, the BCBA about programming and having some input on, you know, kind of like what you said, as far as transferring those, those skills to home, mm -hmm. depending on the age of the child, I mean, we're clearly in, in a state of um, needing Skylar to be more independent. So mm -hmm. a lot of his goals are focused on independence and dressing himself and feeding himself and things like that. Um, where matching would just would not really be purposeful for us at this point um, mm -hmm. because that's not going to get him very far as an adult. Right, <laughs> right. But, um, you know, without my input, I mean, I'm sure you guys could have obviously figured that out on your own, but it makes me feel more involved um, as a parent that I know what he's doing every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what suggestions would you have in addition to that for, for parents? Yeah, I think the number one thing is to find a BCBA or BCBAs and RBTs, but I mean, definitely a BCBA who's going to support decisions. Um, I mean, it's, we definitely, we think that ABA is a great therapy and um, a great therapy for kids with autism. And there are some other um therapies and diets and other things that people 
use to assist their child with autism. And as a BCBA, maybe I don't completely support all of them, but you definitely want a BCBA who's going to say, okay, I'll take data with you and I'll see if this is working. Because if the data shows that it's working and nothing else has changed, then who are we to argue with the parent in thinking that this um, has changed? So definitely getting support from a BCBA, I think is very important to parents. Um, as a BCBA, I try to be as supportive and available to all of my kiddos' parents as possible um, because we do see them. I mean, I see some of my kiddos 40 hours a week, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a lot. Um, and I definitely want to be able to have open lines of communication with all of my parents and be able to sit down with them with meetings whenever they need to. Um, which we call parent training. Um, so ensuring that whatever program you are looking into has the option for parent training where you can sit down with your BCBA, you know, one-on-one -on -one as a family, however um, works best for the family, I think is probably one of the most important things. Um, because if a kiddo's making improvements at a center but not making those improvements at home and a BCBA isn't giving you assistance and guidance on how to work on that at home, you're, you know, you're really not seeing any improvements then. Um, so I, I mean, I love, I love doing parent trainings. I think they're so much fun. I love um, hearing that parents are having successes or helping them through their failures um, because not everything works the first time. So failure might not be the best word, but sometimes we all have to make adjustments. Um, we do that in the clinic all day long. Something doesn't work, so I'm going to make an adjustment and do this instead. Or I'm going to, you know, get input from the RBTs and see what might work better. Um, because it's definitely a team effort from BCBA to parent to RBT to occupational therapist, speech therapist. Um, we're definitely all part of a team to improve this child's really just life, um, trying to help them communicate better or have more functional skills, um, have more like social skills, be able to, you know, relate with peers better. And um, I think finding a supportive BCBA who's going to take time out of their schedule to meet or talk to or email or whatever with the parent is going to help a parent's experience in ABA and also help the kiddos experience in ABA. I agree. I also think it's helpful if, if the center allows, you know, a parent to drop in and just oh, observe, yeah. you know, off in the distance so your child doesn't get distracted and see you, but just so you can firsthand watch some of the, the ways that, um, that, you know, the programming is done. Um, I mean, we try so hard to, you know, to get the exact wording correctly. That's not, saying that, you know, it's robotic because I don't feel that way at all. It's just something as simple as, you know, at home, if we say, you know, if something is thrown on the floor, the words that we use to, to, you know, ask Skylar to pick it up, whether we say pick it up or get that or whatever, it just makes mm -hmm. so much of an improvement to be able to tell the center, well, we say pick it up and there, and, you know, and an RBT may say, oh, well, we always say get that. And so 
you know, for any other child that doesn't, that doesn't probably matter. You could probably say it 10 different ways, but for mm -hmm. some children on the spectrum, you have to be very specific. He doesn't know what get that means if I say it, or if I say, you know, pick that up, you guys are always saying get that or whatever. So he's, you know, confused. Like, I don't understand what you're asking me to do. And, right. You know, again, I don't find that robotic in our situation. I find that he, he is very specific about what he's supposed to do. And if I'm not using the same verbiage you guys are using within reason, within a word or two, um, he's going to look at me crazy at home. And then nothing that you guys are doing and implementing at, at the center is going to transfer into home and we're going to be back in the same chaos we've always been in. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of worthless if you can't, you know, facilitate those skills out into the community, out into the home. And I would think that that's the basis of ABA. It's not to make little robot kids who speak the same exact sentences and all of that. It's to, you know, in my experience, it's to translate those skills. Yeah. So that they can sure. be functional around people who without social uh, disorders and issues. Right. And um, I mean, our goal as BCBAs is to transition our kiddos out of our program. Um, so whether that's into vocational programs or into school or whatever other type of program might be needed, um, we want to be able to generalize these skills so that, I mean, our kiddos can make great strides. Um, and that's tailored towards them. Not every kiddo is going to transition out at the same time. Never every kiddo is going to transition to the same place. Um, and if I was a parent, I definitely wouldn't be afraid to ask, like, what are your goals for my kiddo? Where do you foresee them in, you know, depending on age, five, 10 years, what are you guys working on now that can, we can translate into school or home? Um, because there should definitely always be end goals. Yep, for sure. And it's nice too now that, um, again, all these years later that some insurances are insurance companies and plans are starting to recognize ABA as a, you know, very valid, um, helpful mm -hmm. therapy for children on the spectrum and they're covering it. So, I mean, that's a huge yeah. win in itself. Um, <laughs> Indiana has an, um, I only know Indiana cause that's where right. I'm at. But, um, we have an, an ABA insurance mandate. So, mm -hmm insurance has to pay for ABA therapy. Um, and I, I mean, that's amazing. Cause I know that there's, I'm from uh, Buffalo, New York and the insurance mandate in New York is not there or not as great. I'm trying to think back to what I know. Um, but as opposed to here where, I mean, every kiddo on the spectrum has the ability to get ABA services, which is, I mean, fantastic. And I'm so glad that um, the people who make these rules who might not have any experience in autism or in ABA are seeing the positive effects that ABA can have. And most of the time it's clinicians, right? I mean, you have to, you have to fill out, gosh, the amount of paperwork you have to do is ridiculous, <laughs> but um, we appreciate it. But, um, you know, just submitting reports and you know, mm -hmm. and it's evaluations every six months or whatever, showing improvements and, and how, you know, they've, they've benefited from the ABA services in order to continue getting the coverage and getting the payments. And it's not just, um, you know, 
somebody with no clinical experience saying yay or nay on the continued coverage. It's an actual clinician that you have to get on the phone with, walk them through things, show them where the benefits are, where the improvements are, mm-hmm. and they make the decision ultimately. They may say, ah, you know, I, I just don't think that they need 40 hours. I think you can do it in 10 hours, of course, right. trying to cut costs, but, oh, yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, you know, at least they're willing to have the conversation and it's at least in our state, it's, it's something that's, you know, relatively covered and, um, you know, focused on. Yeah, for sure. And, um, going, kind of going back to finding like a program that works for, a family, um, finding a BCBA who's going to fight for your child's ABA and the prescribed number of hours that the BCBA thinks your kiddo needs and you agree they need um, is very important. Um, I've been very lucky thus far in my insurance phone calls. I haven't had a lot of fights, but um, if I think a kid's going to need 40 hours a week, I'm definitely going to try to get them those 40 hours a week one way or another because they, I mean, if, if I see that they need it and could use it, I think that, um, insurance companies should, uh, be talked through it. And I mean, we can send all sorts of supporting paperwork. That's why we take data to show like, this is what they need. This is why they need it. So. Well, it's phenomenal. You do phenomenal work and, um, you know, as I said in the beginning, um, anyone who willingly chooses this path, has a direct line to heaven in my opinion because it's a lot I mean you guys among any program we've been to you guys don't take spring break you don't take fall break you don't take summers off you are non-stop um pretty much at our beck and call I mean the center is open <laughs> year round I and mean, we really are blessed to be able to you know send Skylar there that's his school I mean that's the only place for him and he mm-hmm. loves going there. He loves everybody and he's, he's doing really well. So, um, you know, kudos to all of you guys for your patience and your love and care of our kids, because <laughs> it would give me heart palpitations to drop them off every day. If I just really wasn't getting a good vibe mm-hmm. um, from staff or from, you know, just everywhere. Well, so, um, thank, thank you. you for that. <laughs> um, I mean, really, I get to come to work every day and work with each of these kiddos who have honestly made such a difference in my life and not everyone can go to their job and say that. So that's true. So <laughs> you don't mind, you, you love them even when they pull your hair or whatever, you're like, oh, oh, I, love okay. every, I love every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> even if that's not true, we appreciate that you say that. <laughs> the well, Emma, good days. They're all <laughs> Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to clarify or clear up about ABA that maybe you've heard, um, you know, that it's, it, it has put it in a negative connotation or, I mean, you know, as we say about every, every therapy, every diet, everything out there that is just a tool, it's just another tool, um, you know, in our arsenal of attempts to try to better the lives of our children, um, you know, whether it's, making them feel better, socially better, um, in the community, all of those things. Um, I don't fault any parents ever for trying anything and everything to help their kids have a better life. Um, you know, and, and as I said, I can only speak from our experience personally and here locally um, in our state, but 
the ABA we've gotten has been, you know, ex spectacular and the people we've worked with have been great. Um, you know, I'm sure there are experiences out there where people had a horrible time with ABA. It might've just been the wrong place or the wrong mm -hmm. people, but, um, you know, please give it another look. If it's something that you're contemplating doing, try to find more research and reach out to me. And I can tell you some of the programming specifically and some of the things that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I just, um, is there anything you want to <laughs> add to that from a clinic clinical perspective? Yeah. Um, I would just say that if ABA is something that you've been thinking about, you've um, maybe been doing some research in definitely finding some avenues. Um, there's different Facebook groups for the different areas of the country. Um, find a BCBA who's willing to talk to you and meet with you. Find a clinic that might be willing to sit down with you and talk more about their program. Um, I will never fault a parent who comes in here and says, I just want to sit down with you before I make a decision because Absolutely. that shows, I mean, that even shows us that you want to put in the effort to your kid's ABA also. Um, and I think it's very important that parents do their research so that they know exactly what goes on. Um, I definitely think that parents should, should be and can be as involved as they want to. Um, and really just work as a team with everyone, uh, BCBAs, OTs, speech therapists, those are just some of the ones that I meet with a lot to uh, really just benefit the child. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for your time you. today. I know that this is a little bit of a break you get during the day, but I'm sure you've got to get right back to it. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time out of the, the craziness at the center, I'm sure. So, um, well, thank, thank you. you very much. This was a lot of fun. Yes. And I will link up your um, social media and email or whatever else you want to send me. Um, if people want to reach out to you directly and ask you, um, you know, ABA questions. And for those of you around the Indiana area, she can tell you where she works <laughs> if you're interested. <laughs> so, so thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.